Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we are discussing Girls Burn Brighter by Shobha Rao. This book is a work of fiction about two girls, Savita and Purnima, who are from the same village in India, who are born in poverty and hardship and become close friends. One day a cruel and horrible incident happens and Savita disappears. In the meantime, Purnima gets married, but all this while she wanted to reunite with Savita because they were best friends. After Purnima's in-laws physically abuse her, she runs away to find Savita. She gets to know that Savita has been a victim of human trafficking and has landed in Seattle. Purnima finds a way to go to Seattle and what unfolds is nothing short of horrifying, shocking, scary, atrocious, but also incredible because of the sheer will of Savita to find her best friend Purnima. This is a story of friendship, hope, and female strength, but it also sheds light on so many elements that we in our lives of comfort and privilege can easily turn a blind eye to. We love the book so much that we are also bringing Shobha Rao on the podcast to talk about her inspiration for the book and her journey of creating this captivating story. Before we discuss the book further, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. What I love about this story is that it opened up our eyes to so many issues and norms that are still so prevalent in the Indian culture, like colorism, domestic violence, girl child being considered inauspicious, not to forget sex trafficking, which is sort of at the backdrop of the story. It really made me realize that things like empathy and kindness does not come from being highly educated or being super rich. You are so right, Kathy. There is so much in this book. But the first thing that I want to talk about is colorism. You remember that part when this family comes to see Purnima for the rishta or the matchmaking? Her aunt applies talcum powder on her face to cover her dark skin. This obsession that our country has with fairness is just so real. I have actually seen people do that that they powder up their faces especially in the poorer regions where people don't have the means to buy makeup but the skin whitening obsession prevails. And honestly it doesn't even look good. Girls are just made to believe that anything else is better than how they really look. Yeah. I think you might have already heard about all the protests and backlash that brands like fair and lovely have been getting and they did change their product name as a result but it's still the same product it's skin whitening cream and it just tells you that actually at the core of it nothing changes and right after this ananya pande and ishan kapoor come out with a song called beyonce sharma jayegi yeah in which the guy is praising the actress on how fair she is so much that beyonce will be embarrassed i mean i am embarrassed I think we are all embarrassed. <laughs> I realized that colorism is so deeply ingrained in the Indian culture. There have been proverbs like "puri nazar wale tera muh kala," which literally translates to "people who have bad character have black faces." Trucks, autos, and basically every vehicle on the highway, you will see that. Right, 
एंड टॉकिंग अबाउट सॉन्ग्स येस बियॉन से शर्मा जाएगी इज अ डिस्क्रेज बट देर इज ऑल्सो चिट्टिया कलाइया वे एंड वन मोर हम काले हैं तो क्या हुआ दिल वाले हैं विच इज बेसिकली सेंग सो वॉट आई एम ब्लैक आई हैव अ बिग हार्ट I just want to say like no you don't have a heart the only thing you have is racism <laughs> <laughs> That's true the book really highlighted that and I commend it another thing that it really brought to surface was domestic violence both physical and emotional and it seems to be there in Poonima's story all along in her father's house as well as her husband's house you remember there's a part when Poonima's father is trying to make another match for her and she all the time is just worried about one thing that what if the mother in law is cruel what if she cannot give birth to sons and all she has is daughters what will happen then reading that i was thinking yeah these are very real fears for women in india women have faced consequences for this and today if women are not really facing the same kind of consequences that they did in the previous generation they still also have to live with all these taunts and subtle disrespect for just being a daughter in law or not being able to give birth to sons yeah i know what you mean i do think that things are changing now a little bit to be fair there are some super cool mother in laws as well in indian middle class families but you know there are other mother in laws also like who are so annoying and it's not even about physical cruelty right like some mother in laws get so much fun out of giving their daughter in laws emotional trauma yeah i think it just comes from years of deeply ingrained patriarchy women have never gotten any power in any relationship that they have like they have no power over their husbands no power over their in laws no power over even their children so much the man of the house makes the decisions so this is one relationship where mother in laws feel like now they have power over this new bahu in the house and they start taking full control and start to abuse the power i think it's just sad that this cycle never breaks even in this book purnima's mother in law is already troubling her every day with her taunts telling her that if she doesn't behave there's worse to come but what surprised me the most was that purnima had that awareness that what's being done to her was wrong i can imagine at some point women who go through domestic violence and trauma start to believe that there might be a fault in them and they deserve it but not purnima and i think that awareness is rare to have yeah that's a very good observation i can remember her never feeling that way like she had some inner strength in her where she could see like the things other people are doing are wrong not that it's her own fault yeah now i want to talk about another thing that this book brings up which is a hatred that our culture our society or the country in general has towards girl child how unwanted girls are i really felt it in that one part in the book where this one man is talking to purnima's father and he says something like That's the thing with girls, right? Whenever they stand on the edge of something, you can't help it. You just think push. That's all that would take. Just one little push. Reading that, I could see the hatred that our society has towards girls or how they see them as just a burden. Yeah. But I also think you know that all this hatred for girl child is also because of this archaic norm of dowry that's imposed on the girl's father when girls are getting married. and that's why i think girl child is considered a burden because poor parents have to constantly think about saving money for the dowry 
right when a girl is born and that's like an unfair burden on them right like as soon as a child is born they keep thinking about oh my god how much money would i have to spend when i have to get her married i know you're right definitely dowry plays such a big role in why people hate girls when they're born but still no one does anything to break the cycle right they just keep taking and keep giving since we are on the topic of dowry and hating girl child i do want to give a shout out to a organization that's based out of uk called pink laddu i think they are doing great work to celebrate girls and destigmatize this entire thinking what they encourage people to do is that when a daughter is born they should celebrate by giving pink laddus to everyone their friends and family which is the equivalent of how people actually celebrate sons birth but for girls not a lot of families did that in the past so now they are bringing this to the forefront that girls need to be celebrated in the same way and what they also do is they give women a platform to share their stories like a lot of women who don't have sons or who had like three or four daughters they were being pushed constantly to have more children until they have a son i think they are doing great work that's actually awesome like it's what a refreshing way to celebrate girls right and if you think about it you know dowry is actually on paper illegal in india but even today it is practiced in all economic strata and now like middle class parents they say that no we will not give dowry or no we will not take dowry but you know in the name of uh, tradition i think they still have to give a bed a fridge some other things like a car and this is all done in the name of gifts i have seen some really crazy expensive weddings where the bride's family is calling each member of the groom's family on the stage to gift them something it almost feels like a graduation ceremony where every kid is called on stage and given the degree you know and that's so ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> i have seen those but you know i think there's again the social pressure in that situation because the girl's family just wants to make sure that everybody knows they have given the dowry tomorrow nobody can come and claim that this family did not give dowry that's why we are rejecting their daughter or you know torturing their daughter or whatever happens so i think it's a way of like you know having witnesses to that activity i also have seen families who are shamelessly asking for money for cash just give us 50000 or 1 lakh or some lakhs because our son wants to buy a car or buy something else and i think what plays there is that those families also have a daughter they have to marry so like if the daughter in law brings a bed or a fridge it's very hard for them to take that from that female and give that to their daughter so that's why they ask for cash because they are like we'll take from one hand and give from the other hand it's such a vicious cycle yeah and you know i just remembered in some places there are rate cards for guys like oh my god that sounds like they are like gigolos or something <laughs> no they are not <laughs> good looking enough to be gigolos <laughs> but you know what these rate cards are for it's kind of like i have spent so much money on my son's education and he's a doctor and an engineer now so i will ask for 100000 dollars as dowry for my son wow I need to see these sons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told you they're not they're not good enough. <laughs> they're not good looking enough. <laughs> This is just making me think that why don't I have a dowry rate? Like we are also educated, we have good jobs, similar salaries. I also demand dowry. I know, right? But you know, if we have rate cards, we are going to be priceless, Tavan. Like no guy <laughs> would be able to afford us. <laughs> True that. 
having said that, we have also seen that there have been so many girls who say no to dowry now. And I think that's the only solution to this problem. Girls have to raise their voices against it. They have to put their foot down and say that they don't want to get married if their in-laws ask for dowry. And I think girls, as well as their parents, they need to start looking at things more holistically, not just a short-term thing that we just have to get her married now. That's a checklist. But they have to see, like, what kind of family is that going to be who are already so greedy and shameless that they're asking you for money or expensive gifts when you don't even have a set relationship? What will happen after the marriage is actually happened? What will happen when your daughter is actually tied to their son and that family, they have to actually keep up with that continuous supply of dowry. I don't think dowry stops on wedding day. Like girls' parents have to keep showing up with all these shaguns, which is basically money, jewelry, clothes for different festivals and occasions in their daughter's life. I think dowry is a full-on subscription model. Yeah, you're right, you know. It is a full-on subscription model when you say it. Maybe we should call it a subscription model. So, <laughs> subscribe to our son. <laughs> Only for 90,999 rupees every month. <laughs> I won't pay 99 cents. Sorry, I don't need the service. <laughs> Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Riverdale High AV Podcast is a sibling-hosted comedy podcast which gets into the history of Archie Comics through the years along the way. But this show can be enjoyed even if you aren't familiar with Archie or Riverdale. Their side series called RHS Public Access covers different Archie titles in popular media. They will also be starting The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Season 1 in October. You can find them on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google or any other podcast app. Their website is RiverdaleHighAV.club and follow them on social media at RiverdaleHighAV. Do you remember that part in the book when Savita lands at the JFK airport for the first time? And she remembered feeling that there was no smell, no life to that place. And I was thinking, yeah, like this seems very relatable because when I landed at the LA airport from India for the first time, I also remember thinking that. Why are there no foul smells at this place? (laughs) Where is the soul of the city? (laughs) So I'm curious, what was the first city that you landed in the US and what were your thoughts? I think my port of entry was in Chicago. But my experience was that I was running around like a headless chicken because my next flight, which was going to take me to my final destination, was leaving in like an hour and a half or something. And The airport was huge. I had to catch a train to go to the next terminal. I was just like acting crazy because this was a new country. I didn't know anyone. I had no cell phone. Like nobody would know if I was just (laughs) stuck in Chicago. Yeah. But you know, when I finally made it to my final destination, it was in upstate New York. I remember thinking like it's so gray because it, it was fall and everything starts to get a little gray in that time. And then I was also thinking, like, where are the people? Because I started my journey in Delhi airport. 
So you can imagine the number of people that's in Delhi airport. <laughs> and in the final airport, there's barely like 10 people I would see. And I'm like, wow, this is like a different world. And definitely didn't seem exciting. Yeah, for sure. I keep telling my husband, you know, the city that we live in, San Jose, it feels like this city has no soul because when you're living in a city, you expect to see some dirt, some, I don't know, garbage lying around or <laughs> or even some more homeless people. Like, where where are the what, homeless? What are your goals, Kyati? <laughs> you can go to San Francisco once in a while. I mean, it's not the same, but will satisfy some of those goals for you. That's true. That's true. Yeah, San Francisco or maybe New York also seems like a real city, I would say. We definitely are not in a city. (laughs) I mean, technically we are on paper, but not really. I know. I want some kind of danger, you know, in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Why don't you go live in UP, Kyati? (laughs) I don't want to die. I just want danger (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I think since we brought up UP, it's good segue to something that I really wanted to talk about. Sex trafficking and prostitution. So the reason why Savita is in US is because she has been trafficked to this place. I don't want to give too much of the story away, but I do want to discuss leader of that whole trafficking racket in Seattle. I strongly feel that he is based on this Berkeley guy called Lucky Reddy. I don't know if you have heard of the guy, but he was arrested for sex trafficking, immigration fraud, and many more charges. This guy was actually worshipped back in India for all the money he donated to temples and such. So no one bats an eye for all the human trafficking and sex trafficking he was doing. Like he would do all these fraud marriages and bring girls from poor or lower caste families to US. And then he would make them work in his apartment buildings. And then prostitution also happened behind the scenes. And when I heard about this guy, his story, I just kept feeling like it's shameful. Just because someone is earning in dollars, it doesn't mean no morality applies to that person. I read about the guy, he also has masters from University of Berkeley. And that just goes to show that degrees mean nothing. We never know what kind of monstrous people can be. I think the only good thing that came out of this was that his case ultimately became like a building block of California's anti-trafficking movement. But honestly, I was horrified to read that he only got eight years of sentence. He is already out since 2008 and he used his prison time to have a mansion built for himself. Now he's living there. He continues to manage over 1,000 apartment buildings and he has real estate companies. And it's just horrifying to know that there are barely any consequences for people. And for people in Bay Area, I just want to say, please don't go through these real estate companies. They are called Everest Properties and Ready Realty. Oh my God, that is horrifying. To know that it's inspired from a real-life incident makes it all too real. Like, I didn't know about this case that you talked about. And when I was reading the story, I was just like, okay, so this is just a made-up fiction thing and it could never happen in real life. But if this is real, this is this is sad. It's even more sad to see that these educated people do such things, like masters from Berkeley. I'm always wondering, you know, at what point do these highly educated, rich people go from being a normal working class individual to 
this horrifying monster who traffics innocent children and kids like at one point do their conscience gets into this unempathetic state where they're like okay so this makes sense to me like i'm going to earn money from you know sex trafficking these innocent children or these innocent women i don't know man i think these people are probably just sociopaths they don't have any empathy to begin with but i also feel like there's another big thing at play which is casteism and i think people from our country and our culture have this ingrained for generations if someone is from upper class they always think of the lower caste people as lesser humans and you can see it in many subtle ways with people like i remember someone who had a servant at home the servant had a kid they named the kid xyz and it was a pretty name when someone from their own family wanted to name the kid the same there was such a uproar from the elders of the family that no you cannot name the kid the same because you know this lower class person has named the kid xyz and i'm like oh my god this doesn't even make sense like how does that affect your child or your grandchild or whatever that kid is yeah i know this is ridiculous and you know we can also see it in a much cruel way today with everything that's happening recently in up like so many dalit girls are being raped and murdered and murdered in such cruel ways like there's no regard for a human life there like they would rape them break their spines cut their tongues break their legs and just throw them in fields burn them it's just sad that there's no consequences for people and i'm pretty sure if those girls belong to a higher strata a upper class there would be consequence there would be so much action there would be media attention but it's just sad that together we have somehow decided these are just lesser humans yes and this reminds me of something so in delhi first of all there are so many cases that happen where people's phones get snatched when they're walking on the road or you know their earrings or their rings get mm-hmm. snatched yeah. when they walk on the road and a lot of people have of course complained to police about this and police doesn't do anything it happened to my mom and they didn't do anything they were like you know we are incapable of finding these people because we don't know where your things will land up and who snatched it okay that's fine that's understandable right what happened was i think narendra modi's niece's phone got snatched in delhi and they found it in less than 6 hours that just tells you everything you need to know right exactly <laughs> so like you know middle class lives or lower class lives are not valued at all Yeah like Unless, you have the technology or the means to do things you just don't want to and it's such a small thing but it gives you an idea of the whole infrastructure or the corrupted system coming back to human trafficking in the book i got like really curious about you know some stats on what is the state of human trafficking now in india or even in the world and i went and looked it up and it seems like as of 2018 there were 46 million people enslaved worldwide Oh my that god. That is crazy. Like enslaved. There were 8 million people in India who were living in the forms of modern slavery such as bonded labor, child labor, forced marriage, human trafficking, forced begging. And all of these are I'm pretty sure all of these are lower caste people as they say, right? Yeah. And among the people who are trafficked, 80% every year are females, 20% are children, and someone who traffics a female can make up to $250,000 per year from putting just one female into sex labor. These are some really ridiculous stats and on one side I see all these, you know, Instagram accounts and products that are coming up to empower women 
to help them do well in stem and of course these are awesome ideas and they do work but on the other side there are all these women and children in remote parts of the world who go through such horrible things and no one is there to help them yeah you're right i mean even we didn't know much about these things right until we come across a story that makes us dig further and we find out these numbers like nobody really knows and somewhere we probably are willfully closing our eyes to these things because it causes so much discomfort and what you said about the sex slavery or trafficking that if a person puts a female into sex labor they can actually make so much money if you think about it it makes sense why they would oppose legalizing sex work because that helps them like control and keep the females or children under their thumb and make money off of them and a lot of people are actually kidnapped or sold by families to these rackets where they are put under debts that they have to pay to these pimps which never is fulfilled and they are stuck in this endless loop the sad part is it's not just happening in remote villages it happens everywhere i recently or probably last year actually attended a workshop on human trafficking and that's where they shared a story in oakland and berkeley there a lot of cases happen this one guy he had roped a female in acting like her boyfriend so these females are also from poor families so they would buy them food give them clothes just pamper them and get them hooked and then they start asking them to do things for them in return because if they love their boyfriend they would sleep with someone else to get money for the boyfriend that's how it gets started oh my god and there was example of a person who when the girl said no to such things he took her to an isolated place took her clothes left her naked in the forest lucky for the girl that somewhere there was a camera that caught all of it and an agency could come in and help her but to think of that these things are happening around us all the time this incident i think was in san mateo isn't it crazy to know that you know something like this happens in one of the most progressive cities probably in the world i know and like yeah california is progressive state which makes it even scarier to me that it's happening in this progressive state where there's so many laws against this and you know to help the survivors what's happening in other countries and other states yeah and this book does a really good job of you know giving us a picture of human trafficking in an impoverished country like india like in small villages what happens and how women are lured into making this their profession i think yeah this book does a great job of highlighting so much of it one thing i like was that at least it had a happy ending because otherwise i don't know if i would be able to take it yeah this book has a happy ending sort of because you know savita finally musters up the courage to run away from that place where she was forced into sex labor the ending also is really awesome because savita didn't have any clue that purnima has come all the way from india to seattle and she's looking for her purnima is chasing her across cities and they end up meeting in the same gas station they did not meet it's an open ending but you know i would like to think that they met in the same gas station <laughs> all this time in my mind you know i was thinking if this was a bollywood movie there would be like you know a song going on in the background like tum tana 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 because the open endings is not something that bollywood does uh, savita and purnima would see each other and then there would be like 15 minutes of holding each other's hands and holding each other's faces and crying and then that extra <laughs> zoom on their faces oh my if god this, 
<laughs> I'm actually picturing Jaya Bachchan and Shahrukh Khan right now. <laughs> yeah, I was also picturing that. Yeah, I was also picturing that. Yeah, I think I I need to direct a Bollywood movie. It's like a need now. <laughs> yeah, let's do that after this. <laughs> so this brings us to the end of our discussion. Before we move on to brownie points, let's give a shout out to our listener who left us a review on Apple Podcast. Our listener of the day is Abukish Life, who says that I came here for book reviews and recommendations, but the conversations are so real and fun too. As a brown girl, I relate to so much of what the host share. My new favorite. Thank you, Abukish Life. Thank you, Abukish Life. Now let's move on to brownie points. I would like to give one brownie point to this book because of Shobha Rao's writing style. It is so mature and captivating. I was hooked from the very beginning and the way she has written about so many sensitive topics. It's truly commendable. Right, and she brings up so many issues like domestic violence, dowry, human trafficking, and they're really woven into the storyline super well. Yeah, I think her writing made it all too real for me honestly. and that just goes to show the storytelling talent that she has i would like to also give one more brownie point because of the open ending i am a sucker for open endings and i really love this ending because first of all it shows the power of strong wills and desires like you know how purnima had this strong will to get reunited with her friend once again and their friendship is unreal and they had to win in the end right I don't know. I think I wanted her to write the ending. I wanted to see the meat and like see where it goes and not just hope for a happy ending. Oh, so you wanted like that whole doom tan na 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 thing. Okay, noted. I will keep that ending in my movie. <laughs> so, this was a discussion on the book Girls Born Brighter by Shobha Rao. We hope you also love the book as much as we did. It is a heavy read but it does open up your eyes to so much that goes on in the real world things that we should all be working towards changing and for our next episode we are talking to Shobha Rao who's the author of this book and we'll learn more about her inspiration for this book and the characters that she has created until then keep listening thank you for listening to this episode of brown girls read podcast if you like what you hear Please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm/browngirlsread/support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod, and Brown Girls Read One on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media, and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.